invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 21. First Kings chapter 21, and we're going to read the entire chapter tonight. We hear the word of God. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. After this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of, the, because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. And he said, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else. If it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. She wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the, t- of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to him. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. When the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go down and meet 
Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. And Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourselves to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you, and I will utterly burn you up, and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. But of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Then there was, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done when the Lord cast out the people cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we know indeed that you are a holy God, a righteous God. You are God who sees and knows the hearts of men. As we read this passage, the unfolding of something that is so evil, we are reminded of the evil of our own hearts. We ask that you, by your Spirit, would teach us that we would reject it in the very first instance in which we have become aware of it. You would remind us again, O Lord, of your grace and your mercy to those who repent. Help us to learn those things that you would have for us to learn this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a world in which many, many do many, many evil deeds. And uh, those evil deeds are often done by people with power over others. We sometimes wonder how it can be that The God who made us and God who made the world does not strike immediately 
and intervene and do something. So often it is that our hearts really long for God to do something to stop that which is evil. We are looking tonight at a passage in which uh, murder most foul has been committed, will be committed by Ahab and his wife Jezebel. It is an evil deed. It, there are many other people that are complicit with Ahab and Jezebel in the committing of it. And it is thought to be secret. And we find at the end of the recounting of the evil that they committed, Naboth's blood being licked by dogs outside the city. And it seems as though evil has triumphed. And yet we've learned toward the end of the chapter that evil does not triumph. God is in heaven. And God who has made us in his image sees all that we do. And Ahab is under the gaze of God and he is under God's righteous judgment. And so we see tonight uh, this uh, unfolding of Ahab and Jezebel's evil deed. And so we first see then in this passage Ahab's offer to uh, Naboth. Naboth's vineyard is adjacent to to Ahab's. And uh, uh, Ahab thinks, oh, well, this would uh, make it possible for me to do many things. And he goes and proposes to, to Naboth that uh, he should have his vineyard. And uh, it, he makes an offer that in some respects uh, would seem to be a, a good offer for Naboth because um, he could have gotten a good price for his vineyard. He may have been able to uh, get one even that was better from Ahab. Uh, and yet, uh, Naboth takes a stand against the king. And you notice this right away in after the request is made that, uh, Ahab, that Naboth replies to Ahab, by saying, God, the Lord forbid, verse 3, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And uh, Naboth takes a courageous stand to answer a king that way. Uh, He right away responds in the name of, of the Lord. His refusal to sell his inheritance reminds us that there were those, even in these idolatrous days, there were those in Israel who loved the Lord and lived for him. And we remember uh, when we asked the question, why would Naboth take such a stand against Ahab's offer? And I think the answer is that Uh, Naboth understood what his inheritance meant, and he valued it highly. 
for Naboth, uh, that uh, vineyard represented the fruit of God's redemption of Israel. God redeemed Israel from captivity in Egypt. But he didn't just redeem them from captivity. He gave them that which he had promised to Abraham so many years before. Under the leadership of Joshua, they entered and conquered the vast majority of the inhabitants of Canaan. And those inhabitants, um, the land and the homes and the tribes uh, took as the, the, the tribes of Israel took that as their inheritance from the Lord. It is as though um, the promises that were made to Abraham came true in their very lives. And so this inheritance meant for Naboth, it was the Lord's gift to him. It was the Lord's goodness to him and to his family. And uh, notice how he answers. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, Ahab will misrepresent this when he recounts these words to Jezebel. He accuses Naboth of being selfish and saying, I won't give uh, uh, you my my, uh, vineyard. It's not a selfish thing for Naboth, but he sees that his vineyard is the fruit of God's goodness to him and to his family. It is the inheritance that is his. This arrangement that God made with Israel where he gave them Canaan, gave the tribes and the families of Israel, the land of Canaan as their inheritance, foreshadowed that even greater inheritance that Jesus Christ has won for all who trust in him. The Apostle Peter spoke of this when he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Believer, tonight you have an inheritance that has been given to you by God in Jesus Christ. And that inheritance is yours in such a way that it can never be taken away from you by an evil tyrant or anyone else. It is an inheritance kept in heaven for you. It is that which represents your eternal communion and fellowship with Christ in a new heavens and a new earth. And that, that, that inheritance that was Nabus was a typical inheritance. It pointed to something that was to come that would be so much more so much greater and so much more wonderful. You think about uh, how paltry it is uh, that for which most, uh, most who, are, who, are, who do, don't know the Lord, uh, what they live for, what fills their minds, what fills their hopes, what fills their uh, aspirations. And uh, it is merely 
the, the love for whatever it is in this world that has captured their heart. But that which captures the heart of the one who is an Israelite, that which captures the heart of the one who is an Israelite is eternal fellowship and communion with God forever and ever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Has that gripped your heart? So that if some king comes along and says to you, maybe not a king, maybe just anybody comes along and says to you, deny your Lord, sell me your inheritance. Commit some way in which do some act which is in itself a denial of that. So uh, Naboth shows great courage and he shows his love for the Lord in refusing Ahab's offer. But Ahab shows something else. He shows that he cannot uh, be happy without uh, Naboth's vineyard. You know, he commits the sin of envy or covetousness. He goes home and he sulks. And he sulks uh, to, in front of his wife and he goes without eating. And he can't stand the fact that he has been refused by, uh, his, by, by Naboth, who loves the Lord. And, uh, you know, uh, the Bible commands us not to covet. And yet, um, and yet uh, Ahab, is, his heart is just consumed with having this vineyard. He cannot live without it. And that's where sin begins. Begins deep in our hearts. It begins in that lust, in that desire that we can't shake. Sometimes we seem powerless in front of it. Ahab was powerless in front of this deep desire that he had. He went without eating, and I think he knew what he was doing. I think that he was being uh, passively aggressive. I think he was sulking so that someone else would do what he himself was unwilling to do for him. So sin, when it grabbed his heart, made him greatly unhappy. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that in your own heart? That when your heart is gripped and you seem to be under the power of some desire that has overwhelmed you, fills you with discontent, makes you feel that you cannot be happy, you cannot be content. Someone else has something, you don't. God has gifted someone else, and maybe that's something, it's something that you greatly desire. Beware of that. Reject it. Be content with that which God has given you. We're all gifted differently. We're all placed in different stations of life. We all have different ways in which we serve the Lord. Recognize God has not gifted you with what someone else has. He hasn't given you that. He's given you something that is unique and special that is the image of God recreated in Christ with all of the gifts and all of, all of that personhood that he has given you that is a wonderful 
beautiful thing. We're so quick to discount that which the Lord has given us because we want that which God has given to someone else. That was Ahab's problem. He was in the power of that. And he, he uh, pursued a plan that was an evil plan. And he did it by proxy. He did it by forming, uh, uh, creating a situation in which his wife would intervene. It shows really the weakness of, of Ahab. He's a very weak man. He's portrayed that way here. So his wife, Jezebel, comes in, and we see Jezebel's solution. She says, why is your spirit vexed that you don't eat food? And uh, Ahab says, well, I said to Naboth, give me your vineyard. And he said, no, I will not give you my vineyard. And he phrases it that way, my vineyard. Not the inheritance of my father's, my vineyard. And he phrases it that way to Jezebel. And Jezebel's response is, is, is one, of, one of those moments. It's one of those responses that is just an unforgettable one. Hey, Ed, aren't you king? Have you forgotten? You have absolute power. You can do whatever you want. There's no law over you telling you that you can't do something. It reminds me of something of what we heard this morning. You're not a creature of God. You're not under his authority. You want the vineyard? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it for you. And that is despotism. It is, uh, it is to act as though there is no higher authority than ours. And every despot acts that way. Do you not govern Israel? I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. The Geneva Bible, in the study notes, says that uh, has a note on that verse that says, as though she said, thou, thou knowest not what it is to reign. I will show you, Ahab, Jezebel says, I will show you what it is to reign and to trample your subject to get what you want. Ralph Davis puts it this way, uh, expressing what Jezebel is saying to Ahab. Your problem, Ahab, is that you still think of uh, uh, that a king is subject to law. You must get through your head that the king, what the king wants is law. What the king wants is law. End of quote. But, not just Ahab. That's basically humanity. Whatever it is you want, that is the law that governs you. That's the society you live in. Fulfill your desires. Fulfill your desires, no matter who it is that gets hurt. Ahab's self-pity and passivity about Naboth, some think, may have been an implicit plea to Jezebel to do something. Do something to make me feel better. Thus, uh, Ahab shows 
his weakness. Alexander McLaren says about this, he says, Ahab does not wish to hear what he is willing that should be done. Think about that. He does not wish to hear what he is willing that should be done. McLaren continues, if only he has not to do it. And so feeble men connive. And they perpetuate evils that others do for them. And they enjoy the fruits of it. And in the end, Ahab can say, well, I didn't do it. It's that wife of mine. But isn't that true also of human nature? We do find ways that things can be done. And we can say that I, I am not the one guilty. But Ahab is clearly conniving. He is clearly using his wife to do that, which he is unwilling to do. Jezebel then sent a letter to the elders and the officials, and several things are contained in it. She says, proclaim a fast, set two worthless fellows opposite him, and have them charge Naboth with cursing God and the king. Take him and Take him out and stone him. The Lord said to Moses that the death penalty for cursing God was appropriate. So one of the one of the horrible things about what Jezebel is putting together here is that she's using God's law to do that which is the most foul deed. And using the cover or the pretext of that which is right. And so she has him accused of reviling God. And the death penalty is for that. Speak to the people of Israel. God spoke through Moses, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. So Jezebel uses religion, she uses the pretext of law. Now there's another thing that people are able to do. They're able to do evil legally. Or at least under the pretext of that which is legal. Even as there is in Jezebel an utter contempt for justice, there is a cover that she uses, a cover of legality. Even, ironically, Jezebel accuses Naboth of blasphemy against God, of which she herself is the most supreme, is the supreme example. She hates God, and she hates uh, the prophets of the Lord, and she has killed them. Her letter is, as McLaren says, a perfect nest of sins hissing and coiled together. She is uh, an example of someone who uh, is able to sin without a quiver of conscience. And so the men of the city that received the letter do exactly as Jezebel says. And it's interesting to notice that in the Hebrew and in the, in the account of the way this is done, you have in verses 8 through 14, you have her letter 
uh, beginning in verse 9, she wrote in the letters, and she lays out in verses 9 and 10, step by step, what they are to do. And then in verse 11, it says that the men of the city and the elders of the city who lived in the city, and notice it says his city, that is Naboth's city, so they knew Naboth. That's kind of hard. They knew him. It was his city, people of his family, his, his tribe. And they actually fulfill point by point everything that Jezebel tells them to do. And in, in scholars uh, comment on this, that this is the command compliance. Jezebel commands, they comply. And the same pattern of speech is used for the command, that's used for the command, is used to describe the compliance. They comply exactly to what Jezebel has them do. No doubt that they were thinking. They were thinking to themselves, well, um, we can see what she wants us to help her do. We have family. We have children. And if we say no, what will happen to us? And so they thought to themselves that they needed to do what Jezebel told them to do. That's how evil happens. When it flourishes, when people do evil because they're protecting their own interests, Injustice and corruption flourishes in those circumstances. We, we, we think, I, I, I can't do anything. Or I will suffer, or my family will suffer. And so they go along with everything that Jezebel says. Not only that, it is the way that uh, evil spreads throughout society. All of the people, if you think about it too, all of the people who knew about this deed that was being uh, perpetuated are a part of the plot. And they can, they, and can be blamed themselves if they reveal what has happened. And so a certain group of people who are involved in this not do this, but they think that they are keeping it secret. As for Ahab, we learn that when Jezebel informs him that the dogs have licked the blood of Naboth, Naboth is dead, he goes to take possession of it. So you have a picture in your mind of the king of Israel uh, professing to be sort of in, in, in blissfully ignorant of the details of what has occurred, but he goes to take possession of, of the vineyard. He's there in the vineyard. And then God's word comes to Ahab. As, uh, as Ahab says, you found me, O oh my enemy. The one who is autonomous to the one who is above all law, the last thing that they want to hear is, they don't want to hear any Elijah's. 
I don't want to hear anybody coming and saying, thus says the Lord. Well, the Lord sends Elijah to uh, Ahab. Verse 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where you have gone to take possession. And this you will say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Elijah tells Ahab that he has sold himself to do evil in the sight of God. God then says, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up. I will cut off from Ahab every male, every bond or free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, though for the anger to which you have provoked me because you have made Israel to sin. The same will happen to Jezebel, the dogs will eat Jezebel. And for dogs, for it to be framed in that way, for animals to lick the blood, or for dogs to lick the blood, is to be, uh, it, it, is, it is the worst of the curses that God could bring upon a person. It is to be exposed in death. It is a sign of God's judgment, of God's curse upon Ahab and Jezebel and all of the house of Ahab. Anyone who belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. Anyone who of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. So the word of the Lord comes and pronounces judgment. There is a God in heaven. There is a God who has made you. There is a God to whom you must answer. If we allow ourselves to go down the path of that which is displeasing to God, if we do wickedness, we will be held accountable to the living God. Ahab is held accountable. What is shocking here is Ahab's response. We are told in verses 25 and 26 that no one sold himself to do evil as Ahab did and his wife, who incited him. He acted very abominably. It's almost like an editorial note that the author wants us to be reminded of the evil that Ahab has done. Then we, we read in verse 27 something in a way we don't want to read. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. So he uh, tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh. Have you ever done that? Pretty uncomfortable. But not only did he put sackcloth on his flesh, he fasted and he lay in sackcloth. And 
he was dejected. He was acting dejectedly. And it says, though, the word that Elijah spoke penetrated. He heard it. And he responds. And then we're surprised as well. The next verse. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Almost as though God is taking here a delight in the fact that Ahab has humbled himself. Now notice that it says he humbled himself. It's not the same thing. One of the things that about the story of Ahab, there's so many, um, if, you, if you think about this in connection with the story of David and Bathsheba, David did something very similar, right? He saw something that he wanted. He went about finding a way to get what he wanted that included murder. And then Nathan the prophet comes to David and accuses him to his face. And David repented. And the result of his repentance is what we have in Psalm 51, which is the most beautiful description of a man in the agony of a broken heart before God. The beautiful description of what true repentance is. But here we have a man, Ahab, who, if you read Ahab's story against the backfoil of David, it, it kind of helps us to evaluate how his repentance is described. It's described not so much in terms of the inner heart, but in terms of how he dresses and how he lays and what he eats and his attitude, which is to be dejected. It is one thing to be dejected. It is, another, it is one thing to be sad. You probably remember when you were children, and, you know, when you're children, and your mom and dad uh, say something to you that is, is hard for you to hear, makes you sad. You're sad that, for a lot of reasons. But it is another thing to be sad on such a level, in such a way, that we ask God to forgive us that we realize that God is the one that we have sinned that it is God who has been offended. And God here calls attention to Elijah of Ahab's humbling himself. And the only way I can think about it is this, is that it, it is a picture of, of God's extreme mercy in taking delight even in this external humbling that Ahab is engaged in. God delights in it. He calls Elijah's attention to it. And so what I would say that means for you and me is if Ahab's humbling of himself is something that God notices, how much more does God notice 
when we come before him in true humility and repentance. And how does he delight? And it's almost as though as he delays the punishment on Ahab, you notice that that's what he does. He, He just says it won't happen right away. He's giving Ahab a chance to develop and grow and deepen his repentance. Repentance isn't something that we fully grasp all right away. I often think about the statement of J.I. Packer that as much as we know of ourselves, we give to as much as we know of God. And what that means is that we don't know ourselves very well. What I'm trying to get at is that repentance is sometimes deeper and sometimes more shallow. But God delights in shallow repentance. And he hopes that it will lead to deeper repentance. And it's as though he gives Ahab the opportunity to grow in his sorrow for his own sin. So we see then that uh, Ahab is, is, is given some mercy here. I want us to return just briefly to, to Naboth. Naboth is a martyr in this account. Naboth is a martyr. He suffered and died because of his faithfulness to the God who gave him his inheritance. And Naboth died, we're told, outside the city of Jezreel. And his blood went into the ground. And Naboth's death is also a type or a foreshadowing of someone else who would be falsely accused. Jesus Christ, who would have witnesses brought in. The chief priests and the whole council sought false testimony against Jesus that he that they might put him to death but they found no one though many false witnesses came forward at last two came forward and said Matthew's account so there is one who has suffered outside the city and has gone through the same kangaroo sham trial at the hands of evil men who was murdered under a pretext of law and legality. But it is his blood that calls out a better word than the blood of Abel. It is his blood that calls out for mercy. Mercy for all who repent. Mercy for all who repent of their sins and turn in faith and trust to Jesus Christ. We also have hearts that are by nature, by by our sinful nature, evil. We also stand in need of that mercy that comes to us through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross of Calvary that provides that delight, the opportunity for us to repent, truly repent, God in heaven to say, have you noticed, have you noticed that repentance? For God to delight in it, may it be that we would learn something here in this text. 
Lord, help us to detect something of the evil in our own hearts. And also to be able to live in a world in which it seems like conspiracies abound and great evil deeds are done and no one seems to know or pay attention. God does. God does. He is a God who is righteous and holy and he will hold all his enemies to account. The Apostle Paul says that to the Thessalonians that Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire and inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. And you think of all of the saints and all the martyrs who have died all through the history of the church. Christ will be glorified in their faithful obedience. May God help us likewise be steadfast and faithful in days that are evil. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do recognize uh, here in this passage so many things that we see even in the world in which we live. We recognize as well, O oh Lord, that you are God, that you are God who reigns, you're God who sees, and you know our own hearts. Lord, enable us to repent of our sin and to trust in the one whom you have given to be our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a, as a response, we're going to sing together Psalm 11, Psalm 11, and it's uh, Psalm 11b in the